Turn with me real quickly to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let's go quickly. I've already preached this once. I know what I'm going to say. And I'm getting hungry, so let's hurry up, all right? John chapter 14, verse number 16. Jesus is talking. He says, I will pray the Father. He says, I'm going to pray to the Heavenly Father. Jesus prayed. If Jesus need to pray, how much more do we know we need to pray? He was the Son of God. He never made a mistake, never sinned, and yet He had the need to pray. He says, I'm going to pray to the Father. He will give you another what? Everybody say helper. Everybody say helper. Thank you. That He may abide with you forever. Last week we began teaching a new series entitled, It's Great Living with a Holy Helper. It's great living with a holy helper. And no, this series is not about my beautiful wife. If this was about her, the series would be entitled, Every Day's a Party Living with a Knockout Blind. All right? So that's not the name of this. This is, It's Great Living with a Holy Helper. And the holy helper that you and I have every single day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, that's available to you as a child of God, the holy helper is the Holy Spirit. Jesus was getting ready to leave planet earth, and he gives the disciples a wonderful promise. He says in John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And what's interesting is the word another. The word another in the original Greek language literally means one just like me. One just like me. Uh, Frankie works at the VA, and, uh, and if you went to the VA and needed her services and, and, uh, and she happened to be out of her office for the day, somebody else would come along and say, I'll get, a, I'll get another person to help you. I'll get another person to help you. And, and they would get somebody else to help that could do some things that Frankie would normally do, but it would be another person. Now, the difference is that person wouldn't look like Frankie. That person wouldn't know everybody, everything that Frankie knows. There's some things that only Frankie can do that that person can't do. There's only some only things that Frankie knows that that person doesn't know. They could probably help you in the end, but it wouldn't be the same as not having Frankie helping you. Now, here's what Jesus said. He says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you another helper. And here's what's so amazing about that. That word another means one just like me. It's not just going to be a substitute. It's not going to be somebody just to fill in. He says, I'm going to send somebody to help you that does it just like I do it, that talks just like me, that acts just like me, that does healings just like me, that does miracles just like me. He says, you're not going to know the difference as far as the help you receive. So understand, when Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper, it wasn't a substitute, it wasn't a second place person, it wasn't somebody inferior, it was somebody just like Jesus. And I hear this all the time, oh, I just wished I lived when Jesus lived. I want you to know there was no, I, I much rather live, you remember when Jesus lived, they didn't have automobiles. When Jesus lived, they didn't have air conditioning. When Jesus lived, they didn't have McDonald's. When Jesus lived, there were so many things they did not have. And, and we've got the same help that Jesus 
gave his disciples, we got it with so much more better stuff to enjoy while we're living. So I don't want to live when Jesus lived. I want to live right now with the helper that's just like Jesus helping us. Now, people say this all the time. Well, if, 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 it, was, if it was so great now, why don't we see the healings that Jesus saw? If the helper is the same, Jesus healed, why don't we see the Holy Spirit healing today? Let me, let me show you why. Let me show you one of the reasons why. Turn with me real quickly to John chapter um, 20, verse 24. Turn over to John chapter 20, verse number 24. You know this story. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. The other disciples therefore said uh, to him, We have seen the Lord. The disciple says, we've seen him resurrected. So Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, notice what Jesus said to Thomas, reach hither Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but they, these are written that you may believe... What is? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Now Thomas often gets ridiculed for this moment. In fact, he came up with a nickname. People gave him a nickname about this event, and his nickname is called Doubting Thomas. Anybody ever heard that phrase, Doubting Thomas? But here's the truth. Most of us doubt just like he do. We doubt just like he did. Unless we see it, we will not believe it. Now let me show you some things. Let me just take a little side journey here and show you some simple things about this story that maybe you hadn't thought about. First of all, Jesus knew what Thomas said and his doubt and unbelief, even though Jesus wasn't physically present to hear his words of doubt. Look what it says in verse 24. <clears throat> now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The, uh, in other words, Jesus wasn't there. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. When this happened, Jesus had left and, and, and the disciples were all talking and said, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. So Thomas spoke out his doubt. Jesus was not there. He was not in the room. But Jesus knew Thomas was in doubt and unbelief. Here's the first thing you understand. Is when things don't happen, you need to check and see if you're in doubt and unbelief. Stop blaming other people. Well, they didn't do this. This didn't happen. That didn't happen. Just check and see if you're in doubt and unbelief. Jesus knew Thomas was in doubt and unbelief. Thomas needed to recognize it. Here's the second thing that you need to understand about that. Jesus didn't condemn Thomas for unbelief. Jesus helped Thomas believe. 
Notice verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. He's there this time. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst. He walked through the wall and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Over the years, unfortunately, and one of the most painful things that I hear often is people who've had a faith failure. I call them faith failures. A moment in their journey that they've been praying about something very important and it didn't come to pass. They didn't get their prayer answered. The thing didn't work out the way they were praying. The situation didn't materialize the way they was asking God for it to materialize. And they got, somebody didn't get healed, they died. Somebody didn't get the job that they'd been praying for and things of that nature. And they have what they call, what I call just a faith failure. And you know what I've seen happen a lot of times? uh, Is Christians uh, berate people for that. They, well, if you had more faith. I've even had people say to people, I've heard them say, well, if you had more faith, they wouldn't have died. Or if she had more faith, she wouldn't have died of that cancer. Or if they had more faith, you'd have got your prayer answered. Or you'd have got that promotion if you had more faith. Have you ever noticed this story here? That Thomas had a faith failure. And notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus didn't didn't walk in there and say, Thomas, 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 what in the world's wrong with you, you idiot? He said, you've seen me heal the sick, you've seen me raise the dead, you've seen me feed the thousands with two fish and some sardines and a loaf of bread. He said, you've seen me teach to multitudes, you've seen me do all this wonder, the lame walk, the leopards heal, and one bad day and all of a sudden you start doubting. What in the world's wrong with you? Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that. Here's something to understand about Jesus when you have a faith failure. Jesus didn't help condemn Thomas for unbelief. Jesus helped Thomas believe. Jesus confronted the doubt and unbelief of Thomas with revelation and encouragement. Jesus didn't say, Thomas, I can't believe you're not believing. Come on, you know better than that. What kind of Christian are you? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, hey, look, here you go. You're struggling with your faith? Here you go. With revelation and encouragement. And then Jesus said, just keep believing. Pick yourself up. It's okay. Just keep believing. If you've got some family members that have had faith failures and your tendency is want to fuss at them, come on. You can do better than that. You should have believed God. Don't do it that way. Give them revelation and encouragement. Is everybody with me? And then notice here the third thing. Jesus reminds us that God's Word is the foundation for our faith. And faith, and faith is simply believing, is the foundation ingredient for receiving from God. Look at verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those. Blessed. That word blessed means happy, fulfilled, content. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He says, if you've not seen my scars physically, if you haven't seen the nail prints physically, but you still believe in me, you are blessed. In God's eyes. How many of you are blessed this morning? 
Amen. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, now notice this, these are written that you may believe. These are written that you may believe. These are written. People say, well, I just need to see it. No, you don't need to see it to have faith. You've got it. It's written. These are written. These are written. How does faith come? I hear this all the time. Well, pastor, I just don't have the faith you have. Listen, faith does not come based on personality. Faith does not come based upon vocation. Faith does not come based on anything naturally. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't give pastors more faith than lay people. He doesn't give singers more faith than teachers. He doesn't give apostles more faith than prophets. He doesn't give, he doesn't give, he doesn't give short, stumpy preachers more faith than tall, skinny preachers. I'm supposed to say that, but I really don't believe it. I, be, I believe he gives short, stumpy preachers a lot more faith. I've never, seen a, I ne, I've never seen a tall, slender worship pastor that can outfaith me. No way. It's just not going to happen as long as I'm alive, all right? In all honesty, how does faith come? Romans 10, verse 17. Look at Romans 10, verse 17. How does faith come? Well, it comes for preachers this way. No, it doesn't. Comes for everybody this way. So then faith comes. Huh. You mean you're not born with it? No, no, faith comes. You mean you only you don't get a level when you get saved and that's it? No, 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 no faith comes. Uh, you, you mean uh, if some people get one level and other people get No, 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 no. Faith comes. How does it come? Faith comes by hearing. And by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Have you ever noticed it doesn't say faith comes by having heard? See, that's where a lot of people who've been serving the Lord for years miss it. Well, I've been in church for 40 years. That don't mean anything. Faith doesn't come by having heard. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing. That's why every day you take in more. You hear the word more and more. Tomorrow, I need faith for tomorrow. I need to hear tomorrow. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. That's why Jesus said these things are written so that you may believe and that in believing you have life in his name. Okay? Now, let's go back to the original intent of this message. It's great living life with the Holy Helper. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 Verse 16, I will pray the Father, he shall give you another, one just like me, helper, that he may abide with you forever. I like what the Amplified says. It says, and I will ask the Father, and he give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengther, standby, to be with you forever. Last week I shared with you that the word comforter is taken from the Greek word parakletos. It was first used in a legal sense. To denote one who pleaded a case for someone in a court of law. It described a helper, an assistant who was always ready and on standby to help, assist, and strengthen you. It also means, uh, the word comforter also means, the second part, or, or the word paracletus, was also used to denote a personal counselor or advisor. This is a picture of a coach who instructs his students. So literally, Jesus is saying, 
I'm not going to leave you there by yourself to figure it out. He says, I'm going to send you one just like me. And he's going to come beside you, and he's going to strengthen you. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to defend you. He's going to assist you. He's going to be your personal coach. He's going to be your personal advisor and counselor. Now, then then he uses the word parakletos. That's a two-syllable word. It's made up of two words, and it's the word para. The word para literally means called alongside in the Greek, called alongside. It always refers to geographical location. It's talking about proximity. So listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to send you one just like me, and he is coming alongside of you. He's not out there somewhere in the universe. He's not in the woods. He's not in the trees. He's not in the birds. He's not in the mountains. He's right there beside you. I hear it all the time. People are looking for some outward sign. Jesus is right beside you. The Bible says, I'm going to send a helper who's going to come in close proximity to you. It's parakletos. The second part of that word, kletos, comes from the Greek word kaleo, which means to call. To call. And it doesn't mean to call like I would say to Pastor Wayne. Pastor Wayne, come over here and do something today. Come over here and do something. It doesn't mean to call. It means your destiny, your intent, your calling in life. So listen to what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to send another one, just like me, whose calling, whose purpose, whose intent, his only reason to be on planet earth is to come along beside you right close to you, and He's going to strengthen you. He's going to defend you. He's going to counsel you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to advise you. He's going to be there for you. See, it's great living life with a holy helper. And He's available to every child of God. Now, if you'll believe in Him and become sensitive to Him, your life will be even more blessed than it already is. And the first thing he does is the Holy Spirit helps us. And I just shared with you what that meant. Stand by, defend, strengthen, advocate. The second thing he does, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Look at John chapter 14, verse 17. John chapter... Now this is available for every one of you that are Christians. John chapter 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him but know, uh, nor knows him, but you know him. Now, see, that's, the, that's, the, that's something that Jesus assumes that we need to take note of. Jesus said, but you know him. The question you need to ask yourself, do you know him? Jesus says, but, you, but he said, the world can't see him, but you know him. Now, the question you need to ask, do I? Do I? Do I recognize him? Do I recognize when he's speaking? Do I recognize when he's leading? Do I recognize when I direct him or I just run past it and don't even see it? Jesus assumes something, but you know him. Now the question you and I must ask is, do I know him? Am I that close to him that I recognize him? But you know him, now notice this, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He dwells in us. Now, that word dwell is crazy. It's a crazy word in the Greek. It literally means to take up permanent residency. And the word really, literally means 
they like you so much, they are looking forward to coming out and living with, coming over and living with you. That's what it word dwell means. They take up permanent residence. Listen what the Lord says. He says, I'm going to send a helper who's going to come beside you. But he's not only called to come beside he's going to live inside of you. He's going to take up permanent residence inside of you. Now, how many of you know there's a difference between going to visit and going to dwell? That's why we love grand. How many got grandbabies? How many of you got babies? That's why you love them so much they come to visit and not to dwell. <laughs> Isn't that not right? They come to be, you send them home. They come to visit, not to dwell. How many love seeing relatives at Thanksgiving and Christmas? How many really love seeing relatives at Thanksgiving? But you don't want to see them January 10th. You don't want to see them March the 6th. Thanksgiving, oh, can't wait till you come over. But as soon as midnight on Thanksgiving night, get the heck out of my house and get back to where you belong. We love the visits, we just don't want them to dwell. Why? Because you take up permanent residency. The Holy Spirit says He didn't just come to visit, He's come to take up permanent residency. Good days, bad days, dark days, bright days, slow days, fast days, happy days, sad days. He's a permanent dweller. He loves it so much. Now here's what the challenge for us Pentecostals, Charismatics, those of us who like this kind of worship and really believe in the free expression of the gifts, we get all pumped up about His visits. We come to a church service and the worship's great. You can feel the presence of God. And you know what that is? That's nothing more than the Holy Spirit visiting. And we'll tell, oh man, didn't we have a great service? Oh, we had a man, the Holy Ghost came down. And I'm going to tell you, we had a church because the Holy Ghost came and visited us. And you know, we go on Monday and forget he's, he's not a visitor, he's a dweller. It doesn't do any good to have him show up and visit on Sunday if we don't make room for him to dwell on Monday. See, he didn't say, I'm coming to visit. He said, I'm coming to dwell in you. <laughs> so not only does he help us, he dwells in us. He takes up permanent residency inside of us. And if you're really going to enjoy the benefits of the Holy Spirit in your life, you and I must become God inside minded. I hear this all the time. People are looking for God to move out here. God to move out here. God to move out here. God, give me this word. Bird flying over. That's a message from God. Uh, you know, something. No, you're looking on the inside. He's on the inside. He's not out here. He's on the inside. The Bible says, let the peace of God rule your heart. That word rule there means to act as an umpire. Peace lets you know it's either safe or it's out. Just on the inside. Let the peace of God act as an umpire on the inside. So he helps us and he indwells us. And then here's the final thing. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He's the teacher. Look at John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach. Everybody say teach teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. You know, the Lord has given every one of us some wonderful teachers in our life. I have some school teachers. I went to public school, 
and I, I have teachers in, um, in elementary school. I have some teachers in middle school. I have some teachers uh, in high school that really spoke into my life. I, they, you would say, we use the term favorite, my favorite teacher. But literally, we, they were teachers that just kind of took an interest in us. And, and even 40 years, I've, I've, I graduated high school a little over 40 years ago, and there's still some of those instructors, some of those teachers that uh, were just wonderful. I just love them, and I, every time I think of high school, I think of them. I had elementary school teachers. My sixth grade elementary school, Ms. Brown, she was just, she was just a wonderful teacher. Miss Napton, boy, she was a mean old codger, but, but, but she taught me my multiplication tables, and I still use those multiplication tables to this day. She, she helped me in life, and we have all have those. We all have spiritual teachers that, if we've been in the church world, that taught us the things. I love Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. He, he was a great teacher, and, and, and he, he taught me things. And I've had pastors that taught me some wonderful things. We all have had, you, you can list them too. We have all have them. But did you know we have a teacher who never gets the information wrong? And, and, and he's always right, and it's always correct, and that's the Holy Spirit. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance everything that I've said. Now, look at John chapter 16. Let me take this a step further. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Now, notice this. He, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. And will tell you what is yet to come. Listen, the Holy Spirit's role as a teacher is to speak for Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said? I'm going to send one just like me. He talks just like Jesus. He only says what Jesus says. He doesn't speak on his own. Over the years, I've watched as Christians get led away by false teachers. People who teach things that are not what Jesus taught. And it deceives them, and they get led away. Do you know in the last days, one of the things that's going to pull people away from their faith is false teachers? Look at Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Listen, not everything on social media is true. Not everything on Christian television is of the Holy Spirit. And you need to understand that, okay? There are false teachers out there. And one of the things that false teachers do is that they will pull you away from what the Word of God says. The Holy Spirit never, never, never teaches something contrary to the Word of God. In fact, he said, the only things that I say are what God says. He never speaks on his own. Okay, The Holy Spirit's role as a teacher is to speak for Jesus Christ. He doesn't speak on His own. Now, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. That word last means last of the last, the end, the end. Um, uh, let me put it to you this way. Um, Acts chapter 2, uh, on the day of Pentecost... Uh, 2,000 years ago, um, uh, 
you know, the Holy Ghost came down, filled them all with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak in tongues. And then the people from the city started coming around and say, what's going on here? These people are speaking in languages they don't even understand. They've never been taught. Peter gets up and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That was 2,000 years ago. Now, if Peter said 2,000 years ago, that's when the last days began. We're 2,000 years later, so we're at the last of the last. And that's what this word means. There will be terrible times in the last of the last. He's talking about our days here. And then go down to verse 13. Notice what he says. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the what? The holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now notice verse 16. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. The word God-breathed is the Greek word meaning God-inspired. The Holy Spirit, now listen, this teacher that we have that's right beside us, geographically right beside us, this teacher that we have that lives in us, who's taken up permanent residence, he was the divine agent who provided the inspired words from the heart of the Father and gave it to the earthly writers. In other words, the Holy Spirit wrote the book. He wrote the Bible. Now listen, if he wrote the Bible (laughs) and he's the teacher, he can help you understand the Bible. It's not a good excuse to say, I don't read my Bible because I can't understand it. No, your quest needs not to be to understand the Bible. Your quest needs to be to learn the Holy Spirit. Because He's the teacher. It doesn't make any difference how much education you have. It doesn't make any difference how brilliant you are. You don't understand the Bible through natural means anyway. The teacher, the Holy Spirit, who's inside of you, He will teach you the Word of God. I'll close with this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. Notice what it says. You've heard this if you've been around church long. The Apostle Paul is talking. He says, It is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those who love him. How many have heard that verse before? Eyes not seen, ears not heard. What is entered to the heart of man for those who do not love him. How many have heard that verse before? What's that referring to? What's that referring to? No, wrong. Thank you for being wrong. Most people think that's referring to heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them who love him. And we've heard that, that that's referring to heaven. Heaven's not even mentioned. Heaven's not mentioned in the whole chapter. Heaven is not the context of Scripture. That's a religious tradition that we've thrown in there, that that's talking about heaven. That's true about heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what's entered into the heart of man concerning heaven that we're going to. We don't know how brilliant and how wonderful it is, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about all the promises and benefits of God that's available to you. He says, your eye hasn't 
seen it. Your ears cannot hear it. Your mind cannot figure out everything God's got available to you. Well, then, well, what's so, then how, what good is it? If we can't see it, if we can't hear it, we can't figure it out, then how are we going to enjoy it? Well, look at verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His what? See, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. It's the Holy Spirit that shows you the wonderful things of God. He shows you the wonderful. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man. Oh, the wonderful things that God has prepared for you. But you can learn them if you let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. The word reveal there in the Greek is really interesting. It means to take off. It means to unveil. It means to uncover. Like something, it's been there all along, but you didn't see it. And it says, the Holy Spirit will take off. He will uncover. He will reveal things to you that's always been available to you, but you can't see it. He's the teacher. And he'll do that for you. You say, well, how does, that, how does that work? How does that work? Well, have you ever been reading a scripture that maybe in your devotions that you've read a dozen times, but all of a sudden, that day when you read it, it's like, bang! It opens up to you. And you see, or have you ever been sitting in a church service and heard a wonderful, short, chunky preacher preach and wax eloquent, and you walk away and say, wow! Where did he come up with that? I've never seen, I've never heard any, I've never heard anybody wax eloquent like that before. I've, I've heard Gary Pipe preach for years and he never got close <laughs> to uncovering that revelation. Have you ever, have you, have you, you've been reading your Bible and all of a sudden it hits you? What, why does that happen? That's the Holy Spirit. He uncovers it. He reveals it. You read in your devotions and all of a sudden it just happens to be what you're going through that day. Have you ever been reading and it's like somebody was listening to you talk in your conversation because what you read that day is exactly what you were going through. It's exactly what you needed and you would think something supernatural is happening. Well, it is. The Holy Spirit is revealing. He's the teacher. He uncovers it. And you get it. And he's on the inside of you all day long. And that's his job. He's the teacher. It's great living life with a holy helper. He helps you. He strengthens you. He defends you. He counsels you. He instructs you. He advises you. He's a permanent dweller. He's always there. He's not just there on a visit. During the holiday seasons, he's there all the time, and he wants to be there, and he's the teacher. He's the one that wrote the book, and he's the one that can teach you how to understand the book. It's great living life with a holy helper. Stand with me, would you?